Hello, hello, and welcome back to A Life Extraordinary. I'm your show host, Roberto, coming to you from Whistler. And today I'm going to be talking to you about what else but one of the sports I most love, which is sea kayaking and canoe tripping. Now, with a sea kayak, you could do big expeditions where you could load your boat with a couple hundred pounds of gear and you can head off for 70 to 300 kilometers. Uh, the longest adventure I've done is in the 200-kilometer range uh, in my sea kayak, and it's a, really a vessel to explore uh, different coastlines, uh, different destinations, and, um, and what really makes it unique is that the places that you tend to explore in a sea kayak are not accessible by land, and so you get a perspective of nature that uh, that few other vessels tend to give you. Um, of course, uh, I wouldn't be talking about the sea kayak if I wasn't also going to talk about a quintessentially Canadian uh, vessel of choice, which is the canoe. And uh, over the years, many people have often asked us, so what do you pack on a canoe trip or what do you pack on a sea kayaking trip? And, uh, and today, well, today the show is just to talk to you about that. Um, the idea is I've got a whopping 30 minutes or so before I have to take my kids skiing up the mountain. Um, it's family ski day and we'll be shooting uh, Nordica skis. But, uh, but I think the, the mentioning of the kids is just important in that I'm also going to tell you about what to pack on a kayak trip or a canoe trip if you're bringing little ones with you. So, uh, so let's begin with telling you a bit about the places that you can explore in a sea kayak. Now, uh, many people don't often know the difference between a sea kayak and a canoe. A canoe is the wide, about 15 to 7 feet, 17 feet long. It's a wide um, vessel and you can pack it. Um, uh, it's got seats on it and you could pack three people in it and tons and tons of gear uh, to your will. Then there's also the, uh, the sea kayak, which is the one where you sit inside a cockpit. It's also about 15 to 17 feet long and it's closed so that uh, you don't have water coming into your, uh, into your boat. Now, the two are for different types of adventures. Canoes have been the choice of fur traders and explorers since uh, several hundred years ago, particularly in, in uh, North America and Northeastern America as well, um, because they can pack a massive payload. Uh, you can lift them, put them on your back and carry them along trails. Um, and you often have all the gear uh, that you would need uh, on any other any expedition, and as for a seek, and this one is meant more for lakes, big lakes, and running rivers, whereas a sea kayak is uh, is meant for much larger lakes because by having a long line in the water, your boat can go much bigger distances with less effort. Um, and I obviously began in a canoe, and then gradually became a sea kayaker, and then with the Having children became a canoeist once again uh, because when I take the kids on trips, it's the best way often to get them to remote parts uh, of the wilderness because you're able to tote everything within your boat. Um, some of my favorite spots to paddle are Maline Lake in Jasper National Park. This lake uh, is an emerald hues. It's uh, located... Um, 
about in in Alberta, and it's got uh, it's known to be one of the coldest lakes in the world. And what makes this place so unique uh, for either a sea kayak or a canoeist is that there's a place halfway called Spirit Island, which isn't technically an island, but it's like this little um, outskirt outspit of an island um, peninsula that has uh, a few pine trees on it. Um, but more spectacularly is that it's crowned, the whole lake is crowned by a slew of mountains. Majestic looking. Um, a lot of people, uh, I think with the advent of social media, a lot of people, a lot more people started to go uh, to Moline Lake because they saw uh, Spirit Island and said, oh, I got to get to that spot. And um, there's three ways to get there. There's the, uh, you can take, a ferry boat that leaves as a tour, and it's the only motorized boat allowed on the lake, uh, aside from the park ranger. And this takes you to Spirit Island, where you can spend 15, 20 minutes enjoying the view before the boat brings you back. Now, to get to Spirit Island, it's a 12-kilometer boat ride, so it does take some time to get there, a good hour or so. Um, but it's well worth the view. For the more adventurous, you could either take a sea kayak or canoe. The difference with each is that while in a canoe, you can take a lot more gear and they're a lot more easier to rent as very few people tend to rent sea kayaks, um, but they are much slower vessels. So I would say that it could take you to get to Spirit Island in a canoe at 11, 12 kilometers. You're looking at about five kilometers an hour in your canoe. So a good three to four hours um, to get to Spirit Island, whereas in a sea kayak, uh, you could get there in almost half the time because that's how much more efficient a sea kayak is in water than a canoe. Um, we we thoroughly love this lake because we don't only head to Spirit Island to take in the view, take in some pictures and obviously videos and whatnot, but also because we're able to, from there, paddle another 10 kilometers to what's called Coronet Creek. And at Coronet Creek, uh, you get a very different perspective of Moline Lake than you did uh, on the rest of, uh, of the the trip, and uh, and it's spectacular. You have these you know these crown of mountains, um, and even in summertime, the weather's so fickle that you could have twenty degrees in the day but minus five at night. Um, and it's just one of those destinations that I that I highly highly uh, recommend for paddling. Now, if you had a canoe, then obviously you're looking at uh, a, a much longer period. is definitely uh, my choice choice of boat. But the last few times that we we went, we went uh, well before I went alone and, and with a friend. I went in a canoe because we took Mikio with us, and uh, and obviously that was the only type of vessel that we could bring an infant slash toddler on. Um, but this is the type of adventure that you would that I'll be chatting about how to fill your canoe or your kayak with. Um, another few places that uh, that I'd highly recommend is uh, Eastern Canada. Uh, where the expeditioner's concept was born is uh, a place of many lakes and uh, and many portages and many uh, rivers. And this is where I first began my canoe trips. And, and it was because my parents sent me to a kid's camp um, that, that, uh, that that began um, to have, that I, that I began to have a love for canoeing and kayaking uh, and whatnot. Um, so, so there you go. That's a, a little bit about uh, 
about a few of the spots that I love, of course, as your uh, horizons of paddling uh, get broader, then you begin to take your vessels on um, different locations around the world. Uh, my first sponsor was a company called Track Kayaks, which is still in existence. And these kayaks are seafaring um, kayaks that you could pack a massive payload in, but that at the same time you could fold into a golf bag and take to a different destination uh, around the world. I've taken mine to Iceland, uh, Turks and Caicos, I think uh, in in wintertime, I've paddled them in the Eye of Quebec, uh, so Maniquagon. Um, and so basically, these two vessels allow you to get to so many very, very different places. And I highly recommend. Now to the juicy part of um, what do you pack? What can you take? Um, and, uh, and here we go. So first off, on the gear list, if you are going on a sea kayak or uh, canoe trip, is life jackets. Um, having a good life jacket is really, really important in, in a variety of ways, um, primarily in that it could save your life. And um, for sure, there are, there are many spots when paddling, particularly myself being an experienced paddler, where I, would, I take my ja life jacket off and I put it across the gunnels of the boat or, or in my sea kayak or on my deck um, because I'm comfortable enough in these spots to know that I shall not tip and there's no, no concern even if I did. But it's when you hit sections like a river section, if you're in your canoe, that it's important to wear your life jacket because um, you could be tipped when you could tip your canoe and then you could bonk your head on a rock uh, or on the canoe inadvertently. And that's suddenly when like, ooh, it was quite important to be wearing uh, a life jacket in a sea kayak scenario. Obviously, when the waves or conditions get dicey um, and you're far from shore, the last thing you want to be is not to have been wearing your life jacket when you fell out, uh, particularly in a wet exit. A wet exit is when you fall out of your kayak um, and you weren't able to barrel roll your kayak right back up. And so you're out, you exited very wetly so um, in into to the water. And so that's a perfect spot where you want to have your life jacket. Now, having um, a life jacket that's equipped for uh, whichever adventure you're doing is really important. So when I was doing uh, some faster rivers and uh, things as such in the canoe, then I had a particular life jacket that could be flipped into a harness in case somebody had to rescue us and pull you up by a, by a rope. Um, also, right now we've been using uh, our Mustang Survival uh, life jackets and particularly one called the Chimera, which, which I, what I like about it is that it has a low profile. So it's not bulky and cumbersome, as many life jackets tend to be. And by having a low profile, uh, it's a lot more comfortable simply to be paddling. Now, this is a foam and a canister life jacket, which means it does give you flotation if you don't uh, necessarily need to deploy the canister that it has, which inflates it uh, more so. But if you do uh, or are in a scenario that you need that extra flotation, it has a canister that you can uh, deploy simply by pulling on a tab tag and uh and there you go been our our life jacket of choice it's got one pocket and in this pocket i tend to have either my phone uh emergency beacon lighter and uh, a few miscellaneous items like that that if i was to make it to shore um it would be nice to um to have those on me um 
and uh, and for canoeing and kayaking, uh, when it comes to emergency situations and or being prepared, one of the things that we always paddle with is having uh, a small five to ten liter dry bag. Usually, it's a five liter dry bag stuffed with a, a down jacket, um, some a lighter, a fire starter, a snack, um, and an emergency. Uh, medical kit on a small size if needed and uh, and this is so that I know that if we're in a bad scenario or or situation um, and the boat has capsized there's one dry bag that you know you really want to want to grab because you know it has all the necessities of of what you might need and that is oh excuse me uh, still still fighting the jet lag um, and that is uh, that dry bag and so when it comes to sea kayaking, I have that right in front of me on my deck because it has to be quite easy access in case of an emergency. And similarly, in a canoe, I tend to have it very close by. I'll also often have a knife in it. Um, next item uh, you'll really want to have with you on your sea kayaking expedition or canoe trip is a knife. <laughs> and uh, more better, better to have the knife on your life jacket than to have it anywhere else because it's the type of item that when you need it, you want to be able to access it quite quickly. And the type of scenarios that you don't know where you'll need a knife is maybe you're tangled um, in, a, in a rope that was hanging off of your boat for whatever reason, and, uh, and you need to cut the, cut the line so it doesn't drown you. Or you're trying to get at uh, your emergency bag, which was strapped uh, or tied to the deck of your canoe, and you don't have time to be fuddling and muddling with with untying it, so you just simply cut the rope. Um, so this is the type of things where where it's good to have the knife. And and most life jackets come with a spot where you can have an outside knife that that slides into it with a locking system. Um, so I really like life jackets that that do have that, and I think it's quite important. I am a fan of multi pocket life jackets, and I find it. Uh, really cool that uh, that uh, some of the brands that I'm working with are reaching out and asking how we would improve um, having some of these life jackets with pockets. Uh, and on that note, I think I'll, I'll send a design um, in the next few days of what they were asking me for. So that's the life jacket stuff. Dry bags, I mentioned it j simply for being what uh, where I put my emergency stuff in, but dry bags are a, a key item to have on any wet water related adventure because the last thing you want to do is get into camp and speak and say to yourself oh well looky here i don't have a dry sleeping bag <laughs> or i don't have a dry tent and that is a terrible scenario to be in so um so the dry bags is something that even though you're putting your gear in dry cockpits of your kayaks uh little many oh excuse me Many people don't know that that in these cockpits, um, they're not actually fully dry and that uh, water does get into them somehow from somewhere, uh, even though it's a very, very slight amount. It's enough to often wet your gear. Um, electronics as well. You'll want to put in a little uh, dry bag that you put into your boat. And of course, no dry bag uh, works very well if you're not using it properly. So very important to to fold over many times uh, the lid where you had it or to make sure that the special zipper, uh, waterproof zipper is fully closed, depending on what type of dry bag you have. Um, two companies that I highly recommend uh, looking at their dry I really like their their line of bags. They're a nice, uh, slick fabric, and this allows it so that when you're pushing a dry bag into a kayak, uh, it slides more easily. Some dry bags are made of a... Uh, 
more of a textile-like fabric, and these ones tend to grab and snag when you're doing that. Also, you have choices of the the width of the uh, material on the dry bag. Some dry bags are very hard, while other ones are very soft. Now, the, the hard ones, while they're more durable in, in certain scenarios, in cold weather, they tend to crack a bit more. Um, they're, they're harder to, to fill, less, less malleable, but obviously less susceptible to puncture as well. And, uh, and you've got different sizes of dry bags. You've got 5 liters, 10 liters, 15 liters, 20 liters, 25 liters, and 30 liters. Some obviously go to 40 liters, but unless you're doing a canoe trip, then you'll be wanting to get uh, the 10 and the 15 liter dry bags uh, most of the time. Um, then what's next? All right, a stove. Yes, very important that you pack a stove on your canoe trip. Um, these are uh, great items that uh, will keep your tummy uh, quite happy. Now, it all depends how many days you're out for to know how many canisters of butane propane to bring and how many people you are and how much tea you like. And is it a, a winter trip or a summer trip? You see, on a, on a winter trip, uh, sometimes you'll be melting snow. Uh, on a summer trip, uh, maybe you'll need more water. It's important to try and gauge uh, how much gas you're going to need for your tea, coffee, cooking, whatever it may be. When you're, you know, when we're doing a longer sea kayaking trip or canoe trip, we will tend to bring more dehydrated foods as a backup because on both of these uh, type of uh, vessels, you're able to take a lot of really good food <laughs> because you've got a lot of space. And there's also economy of scale when when you're multiple kayaks, for example, or multiple canoes, let's say that only you know you're three people to to a tent and you're got uh and you're three three people in independent sea kayaks then obviously not all pe not each person needs to bring a tent and therefore you've got more space for extra food and yummies and things like that um but I'll go into the food thing uh in a moment so important to have a stove um we often take obviously a pan uh and a pot uh to cook different things um we also like to take our wolf and grizzly uh, grill. Now, this is a, a really neat grill that prevents the, the area where you're cooking your, your meal from getting scorched and at the same time uh, is at, serves as a great grill that retains heat to make yourself a nice meal. And it packs really nicely into a sea kayak. I tend to put um, my fire set for the wolf and grizzly to the very back uh, of the sea kayak uh, right around where my skeg goes down. Uh, behind the skeg uh, is another good spot to put bottles of wine. <laughs> so yes, we do bring uh, wine on canoe and kayak trips simply because um, this type of vessel allows you to take as much gear as you can possibly imagine. Um, maybe not the toaster, but pretty close to it. Uh, so gas canisters, I've mentioned, you choose, I, I guess for a one-week trip, uh, one of the larger canisters uh, for two people works just fine. Um, sleeping bags uh, and sleeping pads. So uh, my front uh, compartment of a sea kayak will usually consist of uh, a bottle of wine at the bow, a squeezed mattress, uh, one of my inflatable mattresses also uh, near the bow. Behind that uh, will be um, a dry bag in which I've put my sleeping bag. And uh, most trips I tend to take my minus 30 sleeping bag. So um, I've always fancied, be enjoyed being warmer than colder. Um, so that's another 
tip that I highly recommend when you're on a sea kayak or canoe trip. Uh, then the next thing would be to bring um, in that compartment. I'm usually able to stick a boot or two uh, because I like having my boots when I arrive to camp because I'm wearing my neoprene booties while I'm sea kayaking. And that usually is it for uh, the front compartment. Um, some some people have started to understand finally that uh, that taking a pair of Crocs on a kayak or a canoe trip is also a great item to bring uh, for many reasons. One, when you haven't put on your booties yet and you've got a dry suit or you're simply wearing your neoprene booties um, or you're wearing your, your uh, dry suit, I mean, and you're not wearing your booties yet, then you use your Crocs not to puncture holes into your feet while you're rummaging and around camp and getting ready. Another great uh, thing about Crocs is that after they get wet, they dry out quite easily and quite quickly, um, which is a, a, an important thing on a wet paddling adventure. And finally, they are fantastic tent shoes. Um, so... Whenever you've got to go take a pee or head to the canoe to get something you forgot, um, having these at the entrance of your tent in the vestibule is always a nice thing. So much so that my tent partner on this last trip to Tanzania constantly kept using my Crocs. And another of our guests um, actually bought a pair uh, after having traveled with us to Iceland. And so kudos to him that he was quite comfortable getting out of his tent and into his Crocs. Um, I, I was going to talk a little bit about food. Um, for mountain trips, it's uh, obviously, unless you've got 33 porters like we did in Tanzania uh, and, that are literally carrying watermelons up the mountain. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, they, The type of food that you bring on a mountain trip when you're carrying your own food tends to be the dehydrated foods and uh, obviously makes perfect sense because uh, – you don't want to carry any weight. But when it comes to paddling trips, um, I'm a paddler that could just keep churning water for, for as long as <laughs> needed. And, uh, and the added weight in my boat, while it might slow me down a little bit, it really is a negligible difference. That if I didn't have that crazy amount of weight in my, in my boat, you'll often see the line on our boats to be of water to be quite low. Uh, and that's because we p pack a ton of food. But as the days go along, um, the boat gets lighter as we eat through the food. And for food, um, we literally on the first days will bring steaks or lamb chops um, or items that like cheese and yogurts uh, that we really don't uh, don't mind that we know that we're going to eat in the first few days. And depending on if it's summer or winter time, then, um, then you could actually just put your, your cold, your foods that need to be, uh, make sure that they don't go bad, that are perishable. You put them in a dry bag, uh, and you put them in the cold lake water, or simply you put, hang them in a tree outside because it's cool enough. So trips to places like Moline Lake or some of our winter trips, uh, it's really easy to, to keep, food for longer periods of time like that. Now, if it's a more of a summer trip and, and we're in mid-July in eastern uh, in Quebec and uh, on one of the lakes on a 25 degrees Celsius day, then obviously the food starts to go much more quickly. And so, so it's just important to eat your perishables on the first few days while you're paddling. And then on the consecutive days, uh, go more towards the foods that are not perishable. But most definitely that uh, with a sea kayak and a canoe, you can bring all sorts of food. Whatever you think you can fancy, you can more than likely bring as well. Now, 
obviously on a portage. A portage is when you have to carry stuff from one lake to the next. Um, this is a bit of the time when you uh, wish you hadn't brought so many different bags of food. But uh, I can assure you that when you get into camp and you're eating all this food by the fire, watching the northern lights and speckled skies above that you say to yourself, it was well worth it. Um, what else? Uh, we, yeah, we bring fire starters, a medical kit. It's obviously very important to, to pack a medical kit into your uh, sea kayak uh, because you never know when it might be needed or canoe. Um, we tend to bring a lot of gadgets as well. And one of the ways in which we take our electronic gadgets on our sea kayaks or in the canoe and are not concerned about getting waves of water or whatnot on them is that we use uh, hard plastic cases that protect the gear. Uh, sometimes we'll put these on the deck of the sea kayak and then I'll just strap them to the deck. And even though water is constantly sloshing over them, there's nothing to be concerned about if they are in a pelican or an anuk kayak. Uh, Case. And these are the cases that you will often see in our pictures that we're using uh, on our adventures. Um, you know, paddling is is a wonderful, wonderful way to explore areas that uh, are otherwise inaccessible, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, and I think people, um, as they as they delve into this world of kayaks and canoes, begin to more un more to understand that you can take a lot of the nice comforts of life on your trip with you when you're paddling. Um, I've got two kayaks coming in uh, right now, and I'm really excited about that. I've got a Tempest 165 uh, and a Tempest 170, I believe, coming in. Uh, so two um, 17, a 16 and a half and a 17 foot kayak. Um, the width is about 22 inches. Um, the, the max capacity, imagine, of this boat is 325 pounds. So if I'm 185, that tells you that in this Expedition Tempest boat, I can take a massive payload of extra gear and food and whatever it is that I might fancy. Um, so I'll be going on some sea kayaking trips as soon as these kayaks arrive. Um, and really, really excited about that as well. Um, and then what else uh, really important to tell you? I have a YouTube video that I posted, I'd say about 12 years ago uh, on the Expeditioners uh, page and uh, and it has like 100,000 views or something. And that's what inspired me to, to have the episode today about sea kayaking and what fits into these boats because the episode was simply about what I fit into my kayak. And it shows me like, okay, and I put my tripod here and I put my dry bags in such a way and, and it's actually it had the it was a three-part video and some people eventually was like hey man you could have made this a lot shorter <laughs> it was like but it was the old days of uh of doing videos and uh and and i just find it really interesting how now everything has to be a bit more stupid but it's nice that this whole podcasting platform really takes you down a road of slowing everything down instead of it having to be a bite-sized 30-second episode of what you can take in a sea kayak or canoe. Uh, it becomes a 30-minute episode of really explaining down to detail what type of things to take. And there's another aspect that I, another thing that I forgot to add about what, what I pack into a, a sea kayak or, or a canoe on these paddle trips, and that's the dry bag of clothes. And uh, as the people and our friends that were in Tanzania heard me say nonstop, uh, merino wool is our go-to when it 
comes to what we pack on these adventures. And and that goes from the base layers that we're wearing. If we're in a sea kayak and we're wearing a dry suit, that's the type of base layers that I'll be wearing underneath. My toque is a merino uh, wool toque, and this protects, protects my head from uh, from getting cold and uh the big the big reason being that my head stays warm when wet um so different all all of these different types of uh of adventures i, I highly highly uh recommend that uh, you wear merino wool on because whenever it's a water related adventure uh the last thing you want to do is be cold when water has seeped its way next to your skin or around your body um, and then that's about it. Uh, I don't pack heavily in the clothes department because you really, on most one-week-long adventures, need just one change of clothes. So one change of bottom base layer and top base layer, um, one change of socks. Uh, I do always bring an extra merino wool toque and, uh, and of course, some paddling gloves. But, uh, but that all depends about how how much you, you tend to put your hands in the water when you're paddling. Uh, in my case, I like the feeling of my direct skin to the paddle. And so while I do have the gloves uh, handy, I don't tend to use them too often. And I guess I'll end this episode off on uh, a very important item to have on any uh, sea kayaking or canoe tripping adventure. And that would be to bring an emergency beacon. Uh, InReach is, is the one we tend to use now, and it clips onto your life jacket. And, and in case of any uh, scenario where you fall in the water and you've, you need some help or a rescue or things are going inextricably wrong and you make it to shore, but you've made it to shore without a boat attached to you per se, uh, and you don't have any of your emergency gear and, not, and, and whatnot, then it's very important that you have this emergency beacon on you, particularly if you're in an area with no signal. And if you're in an area that, of course, does have a little bit of signal, then, of course, your phone is just fine. But make sure it has the power and that it didn't fall out of your life jacket and that it was well secured and whatnot. So I guess that sums it up for today. A little bit about uh, what you can take, a little lot about what you can take in your sea kayak. Uh, in a canoe, obviously, you can take so much more simply because it's so much bigger. Um, that being said, it also tends to be much slower. Um, but again, you can take the kitchen sink sometimes, as they say. And uh, and I barely, you know, I barely even look twice at what I'm bringing when it's in a canoe because I can take so much. I even take an axe uh, oftentimes. So uh, so there you go. I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, we'll have another episode this evening um, as well. We'll just be working on that in a moment. But first, a little skiing with the family back at my local mountain, Whistler Blackham. I'm Roberto for the Expeditioners. Thanks for tuning in uh, today to my show, A Life Extraordinary. And I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.